You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I'm from South America, can't you tell? And I'm Ari, and I've got a hot day with my fella. And today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, The Big Goodbye, and Data Lore. But first, uh, Christmas is coming up soon. It is. Uh, what are you doing for it? Um, you know, with the pandemic and everything, we're just having a small at-home kind of family thing. Um, I have one more week of work, and then I'm off for a couple of weeks because I work in a school. So that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to having a couple weeks off. <laughs> and um, I've been making gluten-free Christmas snacks for my coworker because she can't have gluten. Yeah, my mom's gluten-free too, so uh, I know all about that struggle. Yeah, I always feel bad when I make something and I have to leave her out of it. So this time I'm trying to make sure I make things she can eat. Yeah, my um, I, I usually don't do any of the decorating but I, I live with my parents and uh my mom has been uh going a little hog wild with the decorating and she actually just set up the christmas tree on a smart plug so that it'll shut off at night when we're all oh. asleep and can't see it oh that's kind of cool i've also um this episode is coming out after christmas so i can say this without you know spoiling anything but uh i have been working on a present for uh my streamer friend demon mama Uh, Some elevator music that I've been writing, and I think it'll be uh, uh, pretty funny for her to to hear it, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh yeah, I've heard parts of that while you've been working on it. I think it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Other than that, Christmas is kind of just Christmas. I mean, I've noticed, it's funny you say your mom's kind of going into it hardcore, because a lot of my friends are this year. I think it's just year two of the pandemic what's something fun and just like that we can take our minds off of it you know yeah she um well she she's uh in quasi retirement now so (laughs) she finds she has more time to spend on decorating and everything so she's uh taking full advantage that's exciting though i look forward to quasi retirement (laughs) (laughs) okay so today we are covering the big goodbye which is the 12th episode of season one, and it was written by Tracy Torme and directed by Joseph Scanlon. Captain Picard and some of the Enterprise crew get stuck on the holodeck while on their way to an important diplomatic mission. Yes, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> That's the most concise uh, description of the episode that I've seen so far. So this is the origin of the holodeck malfunction episode. This becomes a staple of Star Trek. You usually get, like, one of these episodes every season or two. Oh, interesting. uh, Pretty much going forward. And uh, it it actually is kind of quaint looking back at this one versus some of the malfunctions they have in, in, in future seasons. But, you know, they wanted to have an episode that actually fully explored the holodeck, so, you know... I love that when they're in the staff meeting and Picard's just talking about the holodeck, my first thought was, did he call a staff meeting just to gush about the holodeck? <laughs> yeah, he did. That's what it seemed like, at least. <laughs> but but then they started talking about the, the diplomatic meeting with the Herodas. I'm like, okay, no, he just... Sure, but I don't think he cared about that part much. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, oh, my favorite part was that they spoke French, all of them, in the, in the holodeck. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. They did. The lady said au revoir. And then the guy, the like mob boss guy said it. And then like a whole sentence in French. And I thought, man, they really just made this straight for Jean-Luc. Well, he uh, uh, 
I don't know. Maybe it was his uh, his copy of uh, of the collected works of uh, Dixon Hill that uh, threw in some French there just for him. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I was trying to figure out if it was based on a specific um, like book series because obviously Dixon Hill, at least off the top of my head, does not sound like a real book series. So was it based off of something? Well, I thought it was uh, when I was a kid. I I thought Dixon Hill was an actual literary character. Yeah. Uh, but no, they they made him up for the show, but he's you know like a, a sam spade kind of a character right um, yeah just that 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 30s 40s pulp era hard-boiled detective um so very first thing in my notes is that john jean luc spells knife with an n and i refuse to believe that he's too smart for that joke that joke was dumb well here's the thing he doesn't <laughs> spell it with an n he spells it with a c because he is french and he would say couteau <laughs> True, <laughs> but I thought that was a dumb line for him. <laughs> it, it, it was. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like Picard at all. The Picard is a no. Well- I spell knife with an N. Yeah, my my. Yeah, I'm sure you do, buddy. <laughs> Picard is very well read and well read in English. So no, he knows how knife is spelled. There was a bit about the, so I'm kind of off of, um, I'm out of order, but when Bev is looking over at the the lady that's like prettier than her or whatever. Oh, when she's doing the monkey see, monkey do? <laughs> yes, that part. Um, it really, you know what it reminded me of because, especially because she couldn't stop looking at her, was that bit in the Matrix with the lady with the red dress, especially knowing that it's like a simulation. <laughs> but she kept like, she kept like getting her attention. Like she couldn't pay attention, but but how cute was Beverly the whole time? Like, she's just sitting there, like, giggling the whole time because she doesn't realize there's any, you know, until the guy gets shot, um, she doesn't realize there's any sort of implication, right? So she thinks she's just having a fun. They're, they're all just cosplayers in there. They're just having a good time. Like, you know, I know. Picard she- <laughs> gets arrested and he's got this, this giant grin on his face like, oh, boy, I get to be arrested. And... <laughs> And then I think it was Beverly that said, oh, can we all be interrogated? <laughs> yes. Why does he get to have all the fun? I want to be interrogated. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. How about that look on her face when he invites Waylon along as well? <laughs> oh. No, it was because it, it, it was specifically like um, when uh, she asked to see his office. If you know what I mean. And then Waylon <laughs> you know and Data I mean. invite themselves along, and then you just see uh, Beverly and Jean-Luc just look and go, the cock blockers. Yeah, I know that. And there's that exasperated, like, <laughs> Honestly, that's why they never got together. Uh, Data. Right. Data just never picked up on any of it. Constantly getting in the way. Yeah. So I thought Waylon was an interesting character because what is his role on the ship other than to go into the holodeck for this episode? Yeah, like I, I, I don't see what the purpose of a 20th century historian would be on a ship that is flying away from the Earth. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. <laughs> unless it was like, uh, you like maybe before he he went into Starfleet, he uh, that was like his. his uh his college major or something like that and so it's just you know on top of his starfleet uh duties he's also an expert in 20th century history i, I think <laughs> that probably like makes it was his sense. minor yeah like yeah, yeah, oh yeah. really he's an engineer for you know the the downstairs but he also happens to know a lot about you know 20th century literature at one point he was like stroking a lamp like he'd never seen a lamp before <laughs> 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 like a wall sconce and i was like okay buddy you're playing this a little too hard <laughs> when when uh, uh beverly asks for light 
and like they go and pick up the lamp and it gets unplugged from the wall socket and they're like what what happened where'd the light go (laughs) it made me wonder like are there lamps that don't need to be plugged in on the enterprise and i just haven't noticed this yet or i mean i probably i mean everything everything's like wireless there i don't know that's yeah Wireless electricity is is a technology I'd really like to develop for real, like that's accessible to people on the planet. You know? We have we have wireless te- uh, electricity right now. It it will just you know kill you. Oh well, okay. Let's make it not so so that it won't kill us. Okay, so I so what is a long? What no no no? Let me simplify this. What is a probe? And how can it be long ranged? And how, what exactly did? the Gerada do to the ship? Uh, they did what they needed to do for the holodeck to malfunction. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, uh, and this this is this goes back to the original series Bible. Uh, there, there was always certain things that they were never supposed to explain. Like, when they say sensors are reading this, they were never supposed to explain what sensors are, how they work, what they do. They just are there. And so they just probed them and that's all we know. They just probed them and that's all we know. Um we saw a glowy bit go through a hallway and you know what whatever it's. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> it, it it really isn't important how it happened. They just wanted to find a way for the holodeck to malfunction and they're like, "Oh, you know, they they did something." Honestly, I I I I'm a little surprised that, you know, such an invasive probe that that caused problems uh, with ship systems wouldn't be something that they'd be like, "Hey, uh, yeah, don't don't do that to Federation starships. That could be considered uh, right. an, an attack." Because it was because it trapped the captain in the in the holodeck along with four or five other people. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> but, yeah, one dude almost died. The rest of them were were in danger of being shot at any moment how come so so they probed the ship and it caused the holodeck to malfunction so all of a sudden the holodeck had real bullets because i was real confused about how all of a sudden they could shoot people so uh they don't have real bullets they have holographic bullets however uh the way that the holodeck works is like light projected onto force fields and usually, okay. typically the holodeck has safety protocols, so anything that would actually cause injury to you gets, like, dissipated, so it doesn't actually do it. So, like, if you get shot, they, it wouldn't actually send the bullet to you. But with the safety protocols disengaged, that holographic bullet, the force field, is going to fly into you at the speed of a bullet. So it'll it'll work just like I a bullet see. would. Uh, okay. And that that is also a major staple in holodeck malfunction episodes. The first thing to go are the safety protocols. Makes sense, because it adds a level of jeopardy. It adds tension, but also yeah. it's like, you know, m- maybe if the first thing to go in a holodeck is the safety protocols, you should probably redesign the holodeck so that that's not the right. first thing that Make goes. Make it a little bit harder to disengage the safety protocols. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was Cyrus Redblock a reference to something, or was that ju- was it just supposed to be the you know mob boss type angry dude? I I wouldn't know. I, uh, I I'm not a 20th century historian. Um, <laughs> it sounds like that kind of a pulpy character, but uh, but it sounds like a pulpy character that was written for Star Trek because Redblock and it sounds like kind of future you know is futuristic in its own way while still being old timey mobster guy uh-huh. you know i will say there was one i want to say deliberate uh reference mr leech 
I am sure in the script they wrote Peter Lorre because oh. he's just totally a Peter Lorre style character. The, he is. the sinister foreign guy, little sniveling weasel who wants to kill everyone. Yeah, that was. If, if this episode was filmed in the 40s, they would have cast Peter Lorre. Oh, for sure. I'm thinking of him in Kubrick movies I've seen, I think, is the one I'm thinking of. But yeah, no, I see it, what you're saying. I didn't hate the episode, but I, I, I'm not really a fan of that, like, detective noir type genre. So I wasn't, like, 100% bought in. I'm assuming in the future when we do other episodes, it'll be different types of holograms, right? Uh, yeah, there will be different settings. Although uh, Picard does go back to Dixon Hill uh, here and there, because it's, you know, his thing. Because it's his favorite, yeah. I mean, he really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You could tell how much he enjoyed it. And why do you need shore leave when you have the holodeck, for crying out loud? It, that's a good question. And, I mean, that's kind of one of the purposes of the holodeck is, you know, uh, leisure time when you're out in the middle of space and nothing's anywhere close to you. It's a good way to get away. Right, because I'm thinking about the planet in particular. I mean, if you set up this this thing where like you can go and there's you know safety protocols that you can't die it's far more safe for the crew for wesley for everybody involved if you just go on the holodeck and have those experiences rather than going and risking life and limb there's probably a psychological component to uh actually going someplace because when you're in the holodeck something's real versus like your imagination yeah yeah like i mean I could load up Google Earth and, like, look at amazing vistas through that, but it's not the same thing as actually going there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I just, I keep, I was watching it thinking, man, I wonder when we'll get this technology. I mean, I know VR's coming along and stuff, but I wonder when it's going to get to the point where we can have those kinds of holodecks, because I feel like it's a technology that could literally exist once we get there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of starting to see uh, the beginnings of that. I mean, the, um, uh, the AR walls that they're using to film shows like The Mandalorian uh, that's basically oh. a very rudimentary holodeck because it's just set up so that a virtual environment, I mean, they just, I think it's run an Unreal Engine. They just have these 3D environments that are just projected onto the screen behind all the actors so that they're able to perform in a space and actually see what's going to be green screen behind them instead of having to wait for that in post. I didn't realize, I knew they were using a new type of, um, like, 3D cgi like environment i didn't realize the actors could actually see it yeah it's like uh it's um i think for the mandalorian they called it the volume they're actually also using it in uh season four of star trek discovery um Mm. because when you know dealing with the pandemic it's actually a lot easier to just uh uh, film on this soundstage than have to go out and get other uh, actors and extras and deal with all that um yeah but yeah, I mean, that's there. VR is getting better all the time. It kind of feels like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to a point where we could... I mean, I, I'm seeing people develop, like, uh, VR gloves that have, like, tactile response. So when you pick something up, you, you kind of... You get a sensation that you've actually picked it up. Uh, right, see, and I find that really interesting. Have you seen Ready Player One? I have not, the movie? because um, I already saw Space Jam 2, and I got the feeling it was the same thing. <laughs> Space Jam 2. I have not seen Space Jam 2. I happen to like uh, Ready Player One, because I, I read the book, but they're two completely different stories, basically. But, um, well, it's like you gave two different writers the same story idea, and then they ran with it. 
But um, they have full body haptic suits in Ready Player One. And I kept thinking as I was watching the movie and listening to the book, because I listened to Will Wheaton um, read it. I was just going to um, ask, did you read it or did Will read it to you? <laughs> Will read it to me. <laughs> and um, so they have full haptic suits. But why would you want full haptic suits? Like, that doesn't make any sense. If you're playing a fighting game, you don't want a full haptic suit. That's just nonsense. Well, that's what the safety <laughs> protocols are for. You don't want to feel somebody punching you in the chest. I mean, it, I, I it doesn't have to be full force, but like just like ha- having like a tap <laughs> on your chest so that you know that, oh, yeah, I got hit. That's there. where you got hit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to have some sensory feedback. It doesn't have to be painful. True. That's true. I always thought of it as like, well, you'd be feeling the full force of the hit or whatever. So why would you want that? I get it for other reasons. Like if you're, you know, <laughs> simulating other things, but <laughs> um, I just for a fighting and shooting game game doesn't make any sense to me so that brings me back to the holodeck that's like okay so i guess it makes sense now that you explain that as part of the hologram that would still hit them at full bore but i at first i was like how would they even feel anything because for them they're walking around an empty room right Mm -hmm. well yeah because like i said everything is uh projected force fields so you touch it and you get the sensation of touching something now, I thought it was a really interesting effect, especially for the time frame that this would have been shot in for where they had those different shots, like where they were in the holodeck and you were in the 40s, but you could see the hallway into the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. They, I thought those, those were cool shots. Those are yeah. always really cool shots. Um, yeah. I, I imagine it uh, uh, to take some preparation to make sure everything's lined up right so it doesn't look like the the um, the door was uh, poorly pasted over. Right. One thing um, I just remembered uh, in the uh, the um, conference room uh, when Picard's telling everyone about it, and then uh, Beverly wipes off the lipstick on his lips. It's weird <laughs> that like the holodeck would generate real lipstick instead of just having that be one of the force field projections. Like I can yeah, understand for like a rock or like if you're making food that you can eat in the holodeck would make sense to just replicate real food so that you know you're eating but right that one felt weird but also it led to a great moment because like uh she wipes it off uh picard's lips and then the camera cuts to Riker, who has the sudden realization oh the holodeck's for kissing (laughs) isn't it Riker had a good a few good looks this episode where he's just kind of like oh Um, I, I, I've been enjoying him more, um, as a character, Riker, and I know that he's going to grow on me as we go on, like, the more and more we spend time with him, but I thought this episode where they wouldn't even let him try to speak the language, I kind of wanted to see Riker try to speak the language, although it probably would have ended in, like, war or whatever, because they would be so mad that it would be mispronounced. They were mad that, that Riker would talk to them all because he's not the captain, that they felt incensed. It wouldn't have worked if Riker did it because Riker's not the captain. And this is one of those things, kind of like the episode uh, Justice, where it's like, okay, I understand that it's here because it's a plot point that John Jean Luc is trapped in the holodeck, but like we also know that it's from the Harada um, like probe, so it almost feels like he should be able to say, "We're in this situation because of you, 
but then they just don't. You know, like, the reason the captain can't speak to you yet is because you probed our ship and broke our ship. Seems like a reasonable thing to say, and I know they aren't talking to them, but it seemed like what, like this is the kind of episode that could have been easily fixed by just them explaining what was going on. Well, Riker was trying to, but they were, like, they, like, cut off. They're like, how dare you talk to us if you're not the captain? We're not even going to listen. So I, I think it was just there. That's true. Like, yeah. remember, these are people who, like, cut themselves off from the Federation for, like, decades because the previous one who tried to talk to them is pronounced one word so right. like I, I i think <laughs> diplomatic protocol in that situation is more um we we have to <laughs> these guys are very touchy and maybe after picard does his thing we can be like hey you um shouldn't send those probes to us because that actually really messed up our, our ship I, I i don't think they meant to I, I think it was just uh you know um I mean, they were scanning the ship, but I don't think they had any thought that that scan would have actually, you know, disrupted ship Harmed systems. the ship, yeah. But, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe uh, as the credits are rolling, Picard's like, by the way, uh, don't send that probe, because I almost got <laughs> shot. With guns. <laughs> Things we don't even know what they are anymore. That was the other part of Beverly's character inside of the holodeck that I really liked, because it was like... She was, like, just looking around and stuff, like, oh, and look at this, and oh, look, let's look at this thing. She was just having such a good time, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> it, um, her hair was great, too, and her outfit. And oh. I, at first, I was confused about how she would have a 1940s outfit, but then I realized the replicator probably could make that for her, right? Yeah, they have the replicator. And literally, can it make anything? Uh, Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, there, there are certain materials that are not replicatable, but I imagine they're, like, uh... Uh, advanced uh, materials um like you can't replicate dilithium you have to actually go out and get that but i i imagine uh for stuff that's like carbon based it's very good at replicating that which makes sense that would be mm. the main thing that you'd want because you eat carbon things right yeah because so i that, so do they have to have like a soy base protein there on the ship for it to create the food out of in in star trek enterprise uh the uh which takes place like that was the first uh federation starship that uh i think they specifically said it was like a protein resequencer but i think the replicator Mm. gets more advanced to the point where it is just a matter energy conversion and i imagine there's probably just um it doesn't really make sense that if you can just convert energy directly into matter that there are certain things that you wouldn't be able to replicate but for like story purposes of having certain materials be be scarce that you would have to actually like trade for and everything like that it makes sense from a writing perspective to say oh that this isn't replicatable right okay that makes sense speaking of the the costumes it's actually a little weird that holodeck characters would be programmed to recognize if you're not in costume or to recognize if you don't look like a normal human. Oh, I thought that too. I thought that was weird, because at first I thought they were just accepting Data as, like, a human, and then they started talking about what he looked like, and I was like, why would they even be weirded out like by that, though? Because there's going to be aliens and stuff that use the ho- the holodeck all the time. Yeah, I think there's a future holodeck episode where, like, uh, people are making fun of the way Worf looks. And like, like, interesting because he's you know, he's got the the bumpy forehead, and they like comment on that. And it's just like, this is this is weird. Why, why would you program them to acknowledge that? Like, the holodeck 
yeah. designers should it know. Has to be programmed. They should yeah. know that these people are not going to immediately perfectly fit into the environments that they go into, but they don't want to be drawn attention to in that way. That's it's maybe like you could have a setting that enables that so that because like if you do want to like get the full immersive experience you want to do your cosplay larp um, right then that would make (laughs) sense and i mean most holodeck episodes everyone's cosplaying but it feels like there should be a setting where it's like look i just want to go in for like I, I literally just got off my shift i don't want to have to go change i just want to go into the holodeck can you just ignore it right it's kind of like how when I play a video game and I'm playing a girl character, like, and I'm specifically thinking about Red Dead Redemption right now. Um, so on Red Dead Online, you can play a girl because you have to play the character in the main story. But in RDO, you can play a girl. And so many characters have to point out I'm a friggin' woman. <laughs> and it's annoying because it's like I'm just playing a video game where all like suspension of disbelief has been like like I'm just supposed to believe I'm a part of this world and all this stuff is going on. Why do you need to keep it? Why do we need to acknowledge racism? Why do we need to acknowledge sexism in this setting? I don't. And so it kind of bothers me when I play that game that they'll be like, well, I don't usually talk to women. One character said to me the other day and I was like, great, thanks. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, consider that these developers spent time uh, making sure that if you're riding a male horse and it gets cold outside, that the testicles will shrink. Like, they programmed that into the game. Uh, I I think they probably, at some point, were, like, uh, putting realism over what's actually fun for players, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, because it would be realistic that they would acknowledge that I was a woman, you know, cowboy or whatever. But it's also annoying because I'm playing a game where that's not happening to the male characters. So it would be kind of the same thing if I went to the holodeck and the whole time they're like, ah, but you're a female, (laughs) you human female. (laughs) And I'd be like, no, this is not what I'm here to be on the holodeck to do. But so I thought that was interesting. How about the fact that they could exist outside of the holodeck for a good 15 seconds? That was also interesting to me. That was and then they weird because yeah, in like future episodes when you have like a holodeck character cross the threshold of the door, it's like anything that goes beyond that threshold like instantly disappears. It doesn't take that time to like have them have a whole conversation. No, and then slowly dissipate. Yeah. No, it, it, it was that was weird. Um, yeah, I thought that was strange, and I wondered if that was normal, because it could cause a bunch of, like, issues in the future. If 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 a holodeck character could just stand up right outside the door, you could do a lot of mischief with that. <laughs> yeah. Know? The next episode we're going to talk about is Datalore, which is the 13th episode of the fourth season. It first aired in on the 18th of January, 1988. The teleplay was by Robert Lewin and Gene Roddenberry. The story was by Robert Lewin and Maurice Hurley. And this episode was directed by Rob Bowman. The Enterprise explores Data's home planet, Omicron Theta. They find his brother and the dark secret he carries. I guess you could call him a brother. Well, I mean, they called each other brother the whole episode. I mean, <laughs> you know, Data's basically uh, a, a new species, right? Um, they're going to have different um, concepts of what, what constitutes family and relationships. Um, yeah, that's true. And, I mean, it was Lore, I think, who established that they're brothers. 
you know, spoilers, uh, this isn't the last we've seen of lore. Well, so I was just about to say I'm looking at the Memory Alpha page because I was just reading from it, and it says Arc Crystalline Entity 1 of 2. <laughs> right there on the page. So I guess the Crystalline Entity is coming back at some point. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love every lore episode. I love every time that Brent Spiner is playing a character other than Data. There's, I think, an episode um, in a couple seasons where Brent Spiner is actually playing three characters in one scene. Um, and oh, I, interesting. I can't imagine the uh, <laughs> what uh, what that shooting schedule must have looked like for him. <laughs> the The way that he plays lore is very good. I like the like cheesy hamming it up way he plays lore. I think it I think it helps differentiate between um, data and lore. And I really thought like this was the first time that. For me, Brent Spiner really shined. Like I was had a reason to like him because he was playing both characters. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, the Enterprise is staffed by morons. Uh, the kid <laughs> saw what was going on the entire time, but like they're just like, "Shut up, Wesley!" And this is, hey, here you go. The origin of the phrase that you must never say to Will Wheaton: "Shut up, Wesley." If it his mom says it, I was I cringed so hard because she's like, "Shut up, Wesley!" And then he says something, and then she just responds, "Shut up, Wesley!" And I was like, "What in the heck kind of parenting is that?" And here's the thing, like. Uh, so for people who don't know, Will Wheaton has been hearing people say shut up Wesley to him his entire life. And like a couple years ago, he posted, he's like, look, uh, it's not funny. Uh, I've been hearing it forever. It's always just being used to dismiss me. Uh, I hate it. And if you do it, I'm just going to block you. And, um, what a lot of people miss when they are, you know, saying shut up Wesley to Will Wheaton is that in that episode, when everyone was telling them to shut up. He was right. He was. He was right. And, there, and he knew what was going on. He was like, I don't think that's data. And they were all like, shut up, Wesley. But, like, he actually saw it. And this is not too many episodes after the Traveler told told them, like, he's special or whatever. And Data is one of the only ones in this episode that acknowledges it because he tells Lore that he's, like, he's not just a normal child or something like that. Oh, when they uh, find uh, Lore's uh, body, like, b- disassembled, the the headpiece that they have was, like, they used the worst quality hair for his eyebrows. The whole thing looked terrible. It, it looked awful. <laughs> it looked like something some high schooler had made from for a play or something. But th- th- particularly the eyebrows were so bushy, and it was like, did they <laughs> not have enough time to get it? flattened or done right it was it was like somebody had never met brent spiner before and was literally just working (laughs) off of his face mold like a uh, like a police sketch (laughs) i thought it was interesting uh when the the way that everyone is like uncomfortable talking about finding lore and describing lore data points out to picard that that picard will refer to data as he but is calling lore it right that actually just made me think um, the the current conversation now about uh, pronouns and neo pronouns. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I've got some friends who use it its pronouns, uh, and so I just wrote in my notes. Oh, Lord does not use it its pronouns. Exactly. <laughs> I had the same thought. <laughs> um. Oh. 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 My man Argyle was in this episode. Yeah, I actually. <laughs> I was so I, excited. 
I remember when I when last time last episode he was in, I said, "Oh yeah, we're, we're never going to see him again." And then he showed up, and he was put in lore together. I was like, "Oh, I was I was wrong." Uh, also, when they're discussing uh, putting lore together, I think it was Jordy who asks uh, Data and is like, "Does it look like it has all of your parts?" And my first thought is, "Oh." He's asking. <laughs> he's asking if it's fully functional. He was asking if it was fully functional, and I think that's where the line will. Will we be able to turn it on? <laughs> it's like, I, I think my notes say help. I need an adult because really, what in the heck? <laughs> what is that line? And I just, I because it followed the one about will he have all of your parts? I was just like, what in the heck conversation is this? <laughs> I mean, it is kind of an awkward conversation to have with someone. Uh, like, I, I don't know. It, uh, imagine you uh, have just met a human and for the first time, and they're the only human you know, and then you beam down to a planet, and you go <laughs> into a facility, and you just find, I don't know, buckets of semen and eggs. <laughs> it, it, probably it would be that kind of a weird situation. Like, I don't know, is right, this how know, it it's works? It's so weird. Yeah, I know. Um, one of the things that I thought, and I didn't know if this was, like deliberate and and on the per, on the part of the writers or not i really felt like that um lore was almost like a young child version of data like he hadn't he hasn't gone through starfleet he hasn't lived an adult life cuz when data was explaining that he's been you know he was found 30 years ago and he's been through 4 years of starfleet 12 years of being a lieutenant all this different stuff i thought and especially that part where I believe Lore said something and he looked at people and said, is that amusing or something like that? It reminded me my son used to do that when he was like eight ish years old. He would say something and then stop and look at the whole room and go, was I funny? <laughs> it reminded me of that. So there was this like childlike innocence to Lore in some parts of it. Well, I, I I wouldn't say childlike innocence. He's certainly not an innocent person. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> he's he's definitely childlike in some of his behaviors, but it's like the, the, that kind of kid that will like uh, Donald Glover uh, in in his stand up once talked about how evil kids are, and he'd be like he saw a kid like dunk on another kid on the basketball court, and then go, "That's why your mom has cancer." Lore's that kid. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Kids are awful. Yeah. How about during the scene where um, he asks, how much do you trust Data? And then like four different people crane their necks around to see what he's going to say. <laughs> I thought that was a great shot. Because I think I think that it's, just, I think someone, I think maybe Beverly says to, to Picard, how much do you trust Data? Or maybe it was Wesley. But then it shows like. Beverly turning her head to look, Jordy turning his head to look, Will turning his head to look, or Wesley turning his head to look, and everybody like, Oh, well. it was it was Tasha. Tasha was asking uh, if if Data's a security threat, and uh, yeah. and Picard's like, it was like, no, I trust Data implicitly, and then turns to the rest of the crew and goes, but she was right to ask that question, and nobody should feel weird about it. Right? Yeah, I know. It was such an interesting moment. Another thing that uh, that that made me think of fully functional is uh, when they're talking about how uh, before Data they thought that that you wouldn't be able to have like a, a humanoid robot perform as well as an actual human. Just uh, uh, like they, they thought they'd be clunky, but he's like, "But you perform as well as a uh, as well as we do." Uh, and then uh, Data goes, uh, "Better in some ways, Captain." <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and, and we know which ways he's talking about. Right. Well, Tasha knows which ways we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that, like, I know the, the whole um, sneezing bit where he's trying to be more human, right? Right. That seems to be a real, like, motivating factor for Data is that he wants to be more and more human. But in some ways, he is more human than even Lore was, even though Lore was claiming to be more human than Data, because the, he, Data seems to have a lot more empathy. Data is more mature. Uh, Data has had right. uh, 30 years of experience with humans, learning to be more human. Uh, Lore, we don't know how long he was, uh, you know, around uh, before they uh, shut him off, but he's been deactivated for 30 years. So he doesn't have those experiences. Uh, he right. hasn't developed that empathy. He is just a little child psycho. <laughs> child psycho. <laughs> um, so when they get to the planet and he's like walking around before they find Lore and he's like, I have vague memories. Like it was really bothering me because how would a computer have vague memories? Either they remember it or they don't. Right. Like it. It seemed weird to me because he's not going to have a human brain with faltering memories that are trying to remember the path to that memory inside their own synapses or whatever, because he's a computer. So it bothered me that he was having vague memories. Yeah, I I almost wonder if maybe he had been intentionally programmed to uh, have, like, uh, I don't know, maybe they wanted to avoid uh, lore getting discovered, so they wanted to give him... Like, obviously, they didn't, even though he had the, the, the memories of all of the, the colonists on Omicron Theta, he knew nothing about lore, so he didn't have all their memories. Um, so right, there, or he would have remembered lore. Yeah, so they they, prob- they had some selective things that they cut out, and so probably uh, their, uh, Dr. Soong probably put something, uh, a, a block in him so that he would only have, like, hazy recollections uh, once he went back online when people found him. So maybe that would be it. I don't know. Is it weird for you, or is it just me, that um, we didn't know anything about Data's weird past until this episode started up, and then it was kind of like... Because I just assumed he had been... They didn't, as far as I can tell or remember from the whole series that I've watched so far, they haven't mentioned that he had a weird past or he didn't know how he was created. I just assumed it was normal that androids went through... Starfleet training, and now all of a sudden he has a weird past, and he's the only one of his kind. They never explained that before, so it was kind of a blindside. Well, I, I think uh, in planning the show, they had originally intended that Data would have been uh, built by an alien species, um, mm-hmm. but I think they always had an intention that he would be rather unique as an android, and um, have uh, limited knowledge about his own origins. So I think that was always planned. It's just this is the first time we're getting to it. And it's so soon into the series that it feels like it had to have been planned pretty quickly. Yeah. It was just weird because I felt blindsided by it. Like, I just assumed there was other androids out there going through Starfleet. I had no idea that he was a one-of-a-kind type thing. I mean, there are other androids in in you know in the universe, but I think Data's positronic brain, uh, the ways in which he's advanced, uh, are rather unique. I don't think uh, at this point there are uh, other androids that are anywhere comparable to his level of intelligence or, or, or sapience. Okay, that's interesting. And I found another time where he passed out and there was carpet to catch his fall so maybe i should just retract everything i said about carpet <laughs> yeah no <laughs> it's uh he keeps falling on the carpet and it keeps being there to catch him 
Well, so this, so basically, this was an evil twin like trope, right? Um, and so we, the original um, evil twin trope came from the original series, right? That's, I mean, it's interesting. the uh, The visual aesthetics of the evil twin with the goatee does come from the the original series episode Mirror Mirror. However, uh, Mirror Spock was neither Spock's twin, nor was he evil. So that's kind of a misnomer. Oh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Actually, I think uh, Deep Space Nine goes into how, uh, uh, when they go back to the Mirror Universe, because at the end of the, the um, of the original series episode, uh, Kirk suggests to Mirror Spock, he's like, hey, you know, uh, you might take some ideas from, uh, from our universe. And I think uh, Mirror Spock goes and basically... Uh, reforms the Terran Empire so that it's uh, uh, nicer. Interesting. So that is interesting, because I just always assumed Evil Spock was evil. So Evil Spock is not evil. No. I, I I don't know if I've ever seen that episode since I was a child, so... Yeah, I mean, he's got the goatee, and everyone is wearing fascist uniforms, so you, you would, you know, assume that he's evil. Right. <laughs> and it's just pop culture that uh, if... That they that it's somebody, but they have a goatee. Suddenly, then they're the evil version. So, how come Wesley doesn't have to wear a uniform? Is that rainbow sweater his en- acting ensign uniform? Like, how come every time he's like up there flying the ship, he's not wearing a uniform? He's wearing a sweater. I kind of felt, yeah, it probably is just like the acting ensign uniform. Maybe um, he does eventually get the uh, regular Starfleet uniform. Um, he he will be made like an official ensign at some point. I just I noticed that. Because it's not just running around doing his homework, hanging out in engineering. Like, when he is actually up there being a helmsman or whatever the word is for it, like, he was wearing the rainbow sweater. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered, maybe, maybe I wondered if maybe it was a uniform. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we never see anyone else wear it. Uh, so it is, you know, just to everyone's mind. Do we it's... see other acting ensigns ever? Um, We kind of do here and there. Maybe hmm. I'm trying to think, uh, but not in like TNG. So it would have been different eras of uniforms anyway. Right. Yeah. I would almost think that he should be wearing like a cadet's uniform, which uh, we do see him in uh, later once he's joined Starfleet Academy. But he has to leave the Enterprise, I assume, yeah. to attend Starfleet. Yeah, that's that's after he's left the show. Uh, uh, once he leaves the show, he comes back for a couple episodes here and there. And one of them is. Oh, that's cool. One of them set at Starfleet Academy and he's wearing the, uh, the cadet uniform, which looks more like the Voyager style uniform where the color is on the shoulders instead of on the chest. Interesting. Okay. Um, I just, I was wondering because I, I keep seeing him in that sweater over and over again. And I thought maybe it's supposed to be his uniform, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of had that thought, but um, the, the rainbow colors, I think are actually the three division colors of, uh, of Starfleet. Like, I think it's got the red, the, the gold and, and the blue. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So they shoot lore into the crystalline structure, right? And then it just leaves. Yeah. Is there any reason for that? I I guess it was like, oh, you broke up. I don't know what to do. I guess I'll head out. Because I think he was probably... Uh, they're they're not quite clear on what it is that the crystalline entity does. Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. it, like, feeds on life in some way, but... They never really explain it. Uh, we do see the crystalline entity again in a future episode where it is 
a little more uh, clear how it works. But but it's interesting how often in these episodes the actual plot isn't the point. Because the point of this episode was developing Data's character mm-hmm. and letting him play Parent Trap. You know, like, and letting us see, like, this, like, range of, like, being able to see that there could be different versions of Data depending on how he was programmed or the experiences that he had or whatever. And that was the real point of the episode. And so, like, when I asked these questions about, like, nitpicking the plot i'm just asking because i'm curious but it doesn't really take away from the episode that the plot isn't 100 perfect all the time well and you'll have your uh actually i'm not even sure that this because most uh star trek episodes are structured with a plots and b plots and i don't really think there's a b plot to this one i mean i guess you could maybe say the crystalline entity because that's the thing in space that's chasing them but lore called that so that's he did it's all relating back to the main episode yeah or the main part of the episode which made it feel a little bit more coherent as an episode um like the the other one we were just talking about there's the two different plots going on because there's the harada and there's the the um the holodeck malfunction yeah so that's the a plot and the b plot but there's none of that happening in this episode and this episode felt more like Rather than Monster of the Week, it was a plot-forming episode. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, because I'm ready to see more of those. Because so far, it's been kind of just random Monster of the Week-type episodes. And I'm in- I mean, I'm interested to see more development, more characters. Because once I care more about the characters, I get way more into them. Like, Wesley's had a few character-developing stories, and so now I'm interested in seeing more Wesley stories. And now that I've seen this Data-developing episode, I'm interested in more Data. Yeah, because I remember earlier you said that Data is just... You don't have strong or strong feelings about him one way or the other yet. Uh, so right. uh, how, how are you feeling about him now? I'm feeling a lot more like... He's he's definitely been pushed to the top of my list of like characters I care about. I just kind of care about Bev inherently, probably because she's Wesley's mom, um, and I care about Jean Luc probably just because he's been there as like part of pop culture for my whole life and that kind of stuff. But like all of this, Data is really the first character from the Next Generation that I don't really know much about. That I'm like, okay, now I want to know more about him. So it's this character development really did help me like care. Which is important, I think, because there's characters I still don't care about, like Worf. They haven't given me any reason to care about Worf other than he's a Klingon. Well, Worf gets a ton more character development in later seasons. The first season, they weren't really sure what to do with him, so he's just uh, also appearing in this episode. Right, and so I'm interested to like care about him, because at this point, if you know, Worf red-shirted out of there, I'd be like, okay, bye, guy. You know, <laughs> like, I don't really care too much, but I, I, and it makes it so that I don't care about, like, when it is an episode focused on that character, I don't care as much, but now they're giving me reason to care about each of these characters. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for some more development of all of them. And I really didn't understand when I started watching the show how much it was going to be about the characters. I thought it was going to be about the story, not the characters. Well, you, you're still going to have, you know, the story is like, you can sit down and just okay. Here's the story for the 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 week, but you know they still want to develop the characters as the show goes on, and I think that's uh, that's a good way to go about it. Um, obviously, it is because then you care about the plots more when you care about the characters embroiled in the plots, and it also makes it easier to sit down and watch a random episode because sometimes I just want to 
put on a random episode and not have to have... And that's something I have to keep reminding myself, too, is that these episodes were meant to be, if you sit down and see them whatever night of the air, night of the week it aired, and see it, then you see it. And if you don't, you can still watch next week's episode, even if you missed this one. Yeah. And that's something to keep in mind when I'm watching it, because it's not made for the bingeable TV shows like shows are today. <laughs> one thing that I noticed, um, and this is just you know, something that Star Trek fans just know in general is uh, when they establish that Data doesn't use contractions, but Lore can. Um, mm-hmm. They made that up for this episode. Data's been using contractions all season. I wondered about that, actually, because I thought, really? Has he? I, th- I feel like I would have noticed if he was never using contractions because people who speak like that are very noticeable because they have to be very deliberate about their speech. <laughs> <laughs> and while Data is very deliberate, I did not remember hearing him not use contraction. And and even in this episode, Data uses a contraction. When once after they've beamed Laura into space, Data goes, "I'm fine." Uh, I was like, "Look," because uh, I had yep. I had the, the 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 captions on, and and it did the contraction. It said, "I'm," and I'm like, and he said, "I'm fine," and did a little twitch. And I was like, "Now, did they do that to be like, oh, maybe we beamed the wrong one into space?" But we had just seen that guy try to murder everyone, so we know it's lore. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot better about making sure after this episode Data doesn't use any contractions. And it's something that uh, comes into play a couple times uh, in, uh, I think there's like one episode where it does uh, in, in the show, but they're also in like uh, books, they they make use of it. Um, uh, the um the book that Manda referenced uh, last episode, uh, Imzadi, which is uh, about Riker and Troy's relationship, there's uh, some time travel elements in that story, and there is data from the far future who like uh, travels back in time to try and change something, and because this is a data of the far future, he's far more developed, more advanced, more you know, more human in his capacity, and so he uses contractions and. When Riker of the present notices that Data uses a contraction, that's what tips him off that something's not right, that this isn't the Data that he knows. Well, I mean, with it being Data's first big episode, it makes sense that this is where a lot of his base, like, stuff would come from. But that's really interesting that they would, that especially because for, if this is like the 12th or 13th episode, right? So for 13 episodes, he did use contractions and now he doesn't. But it's interesting because, like, it goes back to that what time era of TV we're talking about because they didn't think people are going to go back and re-watch these episodes over and over and over again like we do. I mean, of course, syndication was a thing, but most people sat down, watched a show, and then never watched it again. We didn't even really, I mean, it took until the 90s for people to start getting TV shows on VHS, and even then it didn't become big until DVDs. And so it's really interesting. These episodes were never really meant to be rewatched over and over and analyzed over and over, but they're still pretty strong from coming from that time period as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting like testament to the show on kind of the timelessness of the writing. One final note um, before we wrap this up. Uh, there's another thing that really should have tipped everyone off that uh, Lore was evil, and I don't know why they didn't notice it, but literally every time he talked, he has evil music playing. Like, <laughs> that's obvious right there. Like, you just know. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was so... And it, it's the impish grin that Brent Spiner did so well, too. <laughs> that I thought really gave it away but yes you're true it's true that music sure was like 
that kind of jaunty evil kind of music. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I just wish characters would listen to the soundtrack more. They they would uh, they they would make their up. lives so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.